welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. I'm Pastor Evan, and I'm joined with Pastor Hayden, who arrived this morning at 2 in the morning. So, Pastor Hayden, you can do this. I'm, I'm right here. I'm ready. Through the strength of the Holy Spirit. Well, here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything that we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. All right, Pastor Hayden, we had a special Sunday. We got to baptize 10 different people to celebrate what God has done in them already. And you still were able to squeeze in a sermon, not our typical uh, length of sermons, but it was still an impactful one from God's Word. So we took a pause in Matthew. Instead, we did a one-off series of being placed into Christ, uh, the sermon title being The Effects of Your New Life. So let me read the text compass, and then let's dive in so we can get prepared to uh, talk about this in our life groups this week. Well, Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. All right, Pastor Hayden, the main point and the main thrust of your sermon was that anyone who is placed into Christ is in, un- is in union with Christ and incorporated into Christ and can no longer live <clears throat> under the bondage of sin, but submits to the authority of the Holy Spirit, who is abundantly at work in your new life. Well, Pastor, if there is one takeaway from your one takeaway that we can apply in our lives as we prepare for life groups, what is that one thing we should walk away from the sermon with? Progressive sanctification. It's a big word. Uh, And that's what we should take away from this is in point number one, we have continually pursued the gift of righteousness. And and really, that could be summed up with saying that God is continually conforming us into the image of his son. That's what scripture teaches and so when we read Romans 6, 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. We're dead to, we're dead to that, and we're alive to Christ, and so we would no longer live that way uh, because we're being progressively sanctified. And so wherever I am in my life, in Christ, a year, now, a year from now, two years, five years, ten years from now, I should be completely different, and my life should be progressively moving and conforming into the image of Christ. And that is a a fine proof of our salvation, of our justification, that our life looks more and more like Christ. And so it is a continual pursuit of the gift of righteousness because it is a gift because we all know that righteousness is a joy when we when we sit in righteousness. Even when you do a righteous act or you live in a righteous, uh, you live righteously for a day or for a week, you know, or you have victory over sin for a period of time or something you're struggling with. It brings so much joy, and it is a gift that, that God would allow you the opportunity to walk in that. And so, really, it's, it's just pursuing that, not as a begrudging obedience, because this is what God tells me to do, but because that really is where life is found. Where li- life is found in righteousness, righteousness in Christ that He's imputed to me, but also the pursuit of a righteous, the righteous life that I can uh, live and walk in, according to uh, Romans 6, peripateo, that I might live that out as the gift which it truly is that 
although I could never walk it out on my own on the shoulders of Christ, I then therefore have the privilege of abiding in the laws of God. And so that is us continually pursuing the gift of righteousness. And it's a good thing. It's a refreshing thing. You even uh, mentioned it in the 9 a.m. of how when we do this, it's it's not really for us. It's it's for God to display his His wonder and his glory. And if we are in line with his his will, it is refreshing for us, despite the circumstances that we may face, whatever trials that we may face. But your second point was that we need to embrace um, the purpose of our new life. And can you kind of reiterate what you, uh, why you brought up Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17 about putting things off and putting things on, all for the motivation of glorifying God? Well, when we think about embracing the purpose of your new life, you have to see that there is a purpose for your new life, that God is working in you and through you for His good purposes for his will, and his will is for your good. And when we look at Colossians 3, and we look at verse 1, verse 1a, it says, if you have been raised with Christ, well, there's there it is, like, if you've been raised with Christ, then there's something that has to happen, like, you have a new purpose in your new life, and so then it needs to be worked out in your, uh, in your new life in, in Christ, that if you've been raised with Christ, then it tells you to then do some things, seek the things that are above uh, set your minds on things that are above. You've died to your sin, and your life is hidden with, with Christ in God. And when Christ in your life is appears, then you will appear with him in glory. That tells you to put some things to death. And it says you walked in these, these sins, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, covetousness, idolatry. You walked in those things, but now you must put them away. It's asking you then, you have a purpose, put those things away. Get dressed in, in the righteousness of Christ. Get rid of anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Don't lie. Uh, you've put off those old things with its practices. These are things you were practicing before. But now we're going to practice some new things. We're going to put on the new self, right? That newness that we have get to walk into, we then put it on, right? Oh, I thought, then you ask, well, what about the righteousness of Christ imputed on, on me? Of course there is, right? That is the righteousness of Christ imputed upon you. But then you clothe yourself and dress yourself in the life of righteousness, the acts of righteousness, as it's saying here. And it's being renewed. You are being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. That's a good thing, right? Every day you're being renewed in knowledge after the image of, of your creator. Like every day you're being sanctified and you're being uh, made uh, whole, uh, sanctified in Christ, right? And it talks about now uh, as you are chosen, holy, and loved, you put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, uh, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then it keeps going. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, because you were called in this. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish people with wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The, the reason that, because that is the purpose. That's why Colossians 3, 1 through 17 is so important for the Christian. That is your new purpose of life right there. If you've been raised with Christ, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is a great verse to keep in front of you, when, especially when you have to deal with uh, something that we have in our, our notes is understanding the relationship between antinomianism and legalism, right? Antinomianism. We talked about it in our service. Antinomianism. Anti-no-nomos, right? Uh, law. No law. Like we, we believe, some, There's people who believe that because I'm in Christ, grace wins and doesn't matter what my life looks like from now on. 
uh, because the grace uh, of Christ covers all of my sin. Well, yes, it, it sure does. That is the goodness of the unmerited favor of God that you can never outsin the grace of God. But because you can't outsin the grace of God doesn't mean that we keep sinning, which is exactly what Paul is addressing in Romans 6, because Colossians 3, it tells us, all right, once we have been raised with Christ, we have a whole new purpose in life. So we pursue those things. And on the shoulders of Christ, like the illustration that we used, uh, I can sit out in the laws of God, fulfilling the laws of God imperfectly. But because you are on the shoulders of Christ, you have the ability to enjoy uh, and see and see the beauty and the majesty of walking in the laws of God, and they will not be burdensome, but they will be a uh, a shelter, and they will be a, a joy to, to walk in because you have been raised with Christ. And that is going to help you, Compass, where how can I know? I'm sitting in this church. I believe I'm saved. I believe uh, I, uh, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. I've turned from myself and but I feel like God's law is still a, a burden. To obey him is to be a burden. And well, good questions to ask yourself is the verse 17. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you maybe following the directions of your pastors, even though you might disagree in the back of your head? Saying, no, I, I want now follow the directions, their discipline or their guidance, even though I don't know if I agree with them. Is it because you want to maintain your reputation here at, at church or your reputation in Christianity? Uh, do you want to look good in other people's eyes, or is it because you want to please the Lord? And you have that other side of the coin called legalism, right? That you, uh, the legalism that is that you can earn favor with God through uh, through the, your own goodness, that you can work your way to God. That and that's what the definition of legalism is: that you can earn the favor of God by your good works. And uh, we're not. That's not how it works. It's not how salvation works. And so you have antinomianism, which I can do whatever I want because I'm in Christ. And you have legalism, saying I can work my way to God. And uh, those are both wrong. Neither one of those are biblical. They're they're unchristian. They're anti-gospel. And uh, but we have to understand. Okay, uh, there is no sin uh, that can't be conquered in the grace of Christ. Yes. Uh, and there's also a beauty and majesty in the laws of God because God's laws are perfect, and he asks us to walk in his commands. Yes. So you see what I'm saying? If, if, you go in, if you go too far in either one of those directions, you hit an anti-gospel lifestyle, and that's why we both have to sit and say the grace of God wins in Christ, but it compels us to then live the new purpose out in our lives, to walk in God's commands, and even though I will fail... Uh, there is grace there, but it still compels me to walk forward in God's perfect will. And that is where we can rest, resting as we run the race of endurance. We get to lay aside every sin and weight that is holding us back, and instead focusing on Christ. So when, when we do fail, we go to what John chapter 1 says, we get to turn to the grace upon grace of God so that we can keep moving forward through God's strength, for God's glory, and to point others back to God. All right, Compass, we have several application questions uh, for you that Pastor Hayden wrote, uh, wrote up to help us, you know, spur us in our Christian walk. But Pastor Hayden, there's a couple that you highlighted. Uh, why are these two questions so important for us as we prepare for life groups this week? I think question number three is going to uh, draw your attention to uh, the idea of the righteousness and the pursuit of it. And the question is, according to Scripture, why is pursuing righteousness, once you've been placed into Christ, the proper pursuit for Christian living as we await the return of Christ? And I want you to think, and I want you to read those verses, and I want you to write out why that is important to pursue righteousness as we wait 
for the return of Christ, because that's what we're doing, right? We're awaiting eagerly uh, the consummation of redemptive history and the return of Christ and his earthly reign as we await for God making all things new. And so why is pursuing righteousness now the proper pursuit as we wait for that return uh, and then apply it, right? I mean, apply it to your life. Why is doing that now? How can you do that now as you're waiting for Christ? And then secondly, you have a practical question there. How can you present your body to God as an instrument of righteousness? That is what Romans 6, 12 to 13 says. We talked about it today in the sermon. Uh, how do you? How can you practically present your body to God as an instrument of righteousness? Like, how would you use a proper instrument? Like, what would keep you from using an instrument and apply that to your own life? Like, well, that instrument is broke. It's not working. It's uh, not. It's not being. It's. It's not prepared. It's not ready. Uh, all those things. Use it in your own life to look in the mirror and say, "How can I be a useful instrument of righteousness in the hands of God for His good purposes and for my good?" All right. Well, thank you, Pastor Hayden Compass. Let's make sure but that before we go to Life Group that we are sitting down in these questions, praying to God to guide us, to open our hearts and our minds so that we can properly respond to this through again, the, the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. So make sure that you're prepared before Life Group to be able not only to discuss it for discussing sake, but to to spur one another on, one another on, one another on in love and good works, as Hebrews chapter ten talks about. All right, Compass, there is actually several resources that we have on the topic of baptism. Well, the first one I do want to mention is the the Gospel of Jesus Christ by Paul Washer. It's one of the readings that we give out to every candidate who wants to be baptized. Because, well, before you can baptize in water, you got to make sure you're baptized. In, in Christ. So this book is a very short and helpful explanation of what the gospel is. But Pastor Hayden, before we get into the technical resources, what is the one resource that we also give to baptism candidates and why is it so helpful? It's actually my favorite resource on baptism and it is a book on, it's called Baptism by Larry Dyer. And uh, it's super concise, it's super simple, and it's very short. Uh, but what I love about it is there are very few times, at least in my life presently, uh, where I read something that is both very simple but yet profound in the way that it teaches me things that I couldn't articulate that way before. And when I read this book the first time, I thought, wow, very simple, things I've never heard that are so biblical and so necessary. And uh, it's very uh, helpful, and I think that as people in our church are reading it for baptisms, it would be good for everyone to grab a copy of this uh, and to read uh, through what is baptism. It answers some frequently asked questions, some objections to certain ideas and thoughts, but it also just explains there are five baptisms in, in the New Testament, ways that baptism is used, not five different what modes of baptism, but five different contexts the word is baptism is used, and I'll just I'll try to ring them off. One, it's the baptism of John the Baptist, which is a baptism of repentance uh, and, and the awaiting the arrival of Christ. He, you know, John the Baptist was a forerunner of Christ, and so he was baptizing people, getting them prepared for the coming of Christ. Uh, then you have uh, the baptism of Christ, uh, which was to fulfill all righteousness, which we do not participate in the baptism of Christ. Our baptism is different than his because his was a fulfillment of, uh, of his position as the uh, justifier uh, of all. And so, and then you have a third baptism, which you read in Scripture is called the baptism of fire or the baptism of judgment. And remember, baptism means placed into. And so there is going to come a time where everyone who isn't baptized into Christ will be baptized into 
fire, right? And we call that the, the baptism, the judgment baptism. Everyone will be placed into uh, judgment. And so, what is that, three? Was that three or four? That was number three. That was number three. Number four, number four, number four you have uh, water baptism, right, which is what we celebrated today, and that is being placed into water. We see that in the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that we are placed into water as an outward display of the inward change, which is the fifth baptism, and that is baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that is us being placed into Christ. Once we're placed into Christ, he then indwells us with the third person of the Trinity, you get the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit then indwells in us, and therefore you have that baptism, and I've been placed into Christ, therefore I have the Spirit in me that God, that Christ has promised me uh, on his ascension uh, into heaven, that he would not leave us alone as orphans, but he would give us the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And so there's your five baptisms. And so that's this book actually helps you understand and define all of those in proper context. Because if not, you could have a wacky understanding of what baptism means. Very wacky. And so it's Baptism by Larry Dyer. Now, if you're the technical person, if you want to know exactly what the Greek is talking about, we recommend Believer's Baptism by Tom Schreiner and Sean White. Again, this is a very helpful resource, but it's a very technical one compared to the Baptism by Larry Dyer. But some of you might be thinking, you know, we have brothers and sisters that are Presbyterian and Lutheran who will baptize their infants. And why are they doing that? And what, what is our position? Well, there's a great resource called A Biblical Critique of Infant Baptism by May, uh, Matt Waymeyer, A Biblical Critique of Infant Baptism of a man who actually used to be Presbyterian, and then he actually changed his position based on what the Bible teaches. And so just to reassure you that our brothers and sisters in the Presbyterian Church and Lutheran Church do not believe what the Roman Catholic Church will teach or even the Mormon um, heresy will teach that the... Um, baptism saves you in some form or manner. It's a different um, idea, and this book explains it and gives the biblical cases for it, but then gives the biblical cases to refute it. And it's a very helpful resource in that. So, Pastor Hayden, we appreciate you for how much you love this church by you know making sure that you're flying out, arriving two, to, at 2 a.m. this morning to still um, lead us as our, as our lead pastor here at Compass. All right, well, Compass, we are going to continue in our daily Bible reading spotlight, and in a week, we'll be completing the book of Ecclesiastes, and to many of you, it's the most depressing book of the Bible, and to me, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Is it because I'm a depressing person? Pastor Hayden, am I depressing? Absolutely not. There you go. So there is hope for all of us. <laughs> so the funny enough, the na- the Hebrew name of Ecclesiastes is like uh, Quehelet, which means one who assembles. By the way, I probably butchered that pronunciation. So it's don't pretty quote. good. Thank you. It means one who assembles. And so it's assembling all this wisdom. And the author is Solomon. And there is some debate behind it. But then it's Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's claiming to be Solomon. And here's a historical case. If you don't know, there's actually a book called The Wisdom of Solomon that's not in your Bibles because that's in the Apocrypha. It's um, it's actually known as a pseudepigrapha because someone says this is Solomon, but then people realized it wasn't Solomon who wrote The Wisdom of Solomon, and so they rejected it because it wasn't written by Solomon. So if Ecclesiastes saying it was Solomon was not if it was not written by Solomon, people would have rejected it, saying this is not the word of God. But instead, it is, and so that's why they say this is why this is why we make the case that Solomon is the author. 
And here's some background to Ecclesiastes. It's like, wow, it's, it's at the end of Solomon's life. He seems like an aged man who's kind of scarred a little bit. But here's the context. Remember, it's a concerning when we're reading daily Bible reading in the past in First Kings, well, the first part of Kings, in chapter 11, because in chapter 11, that's Saul's, Solomon's downfall. And if you take a kind of a step back, if you read it carefully, you're going to ask this question. You might ask me or Pastor Hayden or your life group leaders and go, was Solomon saved? Because here's this guy who asked for wisdom. He gets it. He builds the temple. He's at the zenith of Israel's power. But then how does he end his life? Well, his life ends in you know, 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, saying he started building high places for his other wives, his foreign wives, and made offerings and sacrifices to their God. And the Lord God was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. And so it's a bit concerning. That's how we land here. But then we have not only the book of Proverbs, we also have the book of Ecclesiastes. And as some would say that this is a book of Solomon's repentance as he, you know, God is able to unveil the eyes of his sin and see the reality of his sin. He repents and turns back to God. And actually we see in the Greek repentance of the Greek talks about a changing of the mind, but in the Hebrew, the uh, in the Hebrew word, it's to actually turn back. So Ecclesiastes is tough to comprehend because it's very poetic. And let me prove how poetic, poetic it is. It is exactly 222 uh, lines, exactly. So don't look at the verses. That was an added in, um, added in later. It's made up of lines. It's 222 lines, exactly. So the 100, uh, 111 mark is the halfway point, naturally, but everything of the structure is of Ecclesiastes is hinged on the halfway mark, which is Ecclesiastes 6, 9 through 10. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. So is also vanity and striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. So it's through the rest, for the fullness of this book, Solomon is trying to say, hey, Everything you're striving after is like striving after when you can't capture it. And so there is no point of trying to live life without God. Uh, furthermore, to show how poetic this book is, uh, the Hebrew word for vanity in your English standard version, uh, Bible, it says vanity. Other uh, says uh, it's wind or worthless. It's the Hebrew word of havel. And if you add up the word havel, because the Hebrew language is very... Um, actually mathematic, uh, actually, as Pastor Hayden's preaching through the genealogies, he's going to explain this in a few weeks, how the name David is equal to the number 14. If you add up the, um, if you add up the letters of the Hebrew word for David, it equals 14. So if A was one, B is two, so AB equals three. The word Havel adds up to 37. Well, funny enough, if you take 37 three times, that's 111. And there's two times 111. And funny enough, you know how many times the word Havel is used in Ecclesiastes? 37 times. So this word is used 37 times, and the number adds up to 37. It's, and 37 times 3 is 111, and there's a two there's 211 that equals 222. The point I'm trying to make is it's a very poetic book. So it's a poetic book that concludes... Like, and, and we talk about poetry, and I know because when you start using numbers, I'm like, well, this is numerology or something, uh, which it isn't. Uh, in Hebrew poetry, just like in, in English, um, patterns and numbers are used often. But one of the problems that we have in Hebrew poetry is when you take 
a word out of its original language and put it into our language, oftentimes it loses some of the poetic flow. We see that a lot in the Psalms. Uh, when a, a word, two words might rhyme in Hebrew, and they'd have like zero relationship in rhyming in English, uh, you just have to understand. Sometimes knowing the original languages helps in things like poetry because you see the flow. And just the same way you see all these numbers in, in Hebrew, and uh, the, the rhythms of Hebrew poetry, a lot of these things are very significant, although you may not draw that out of it. You have to understand a little bit of uh, Hebrew poetry and, and the, uh, what is it, the, the genre it's written in Scripture. And the reason why is that it's going to help you see the point. And actually in the Gospel of Matthew, there's a lot of things called mm-hmm. a, a chiasm, essentially, a chiasm, depending on how you want to yeah. pronounce it. So it's like a pattern of... A, B, B, A. And so the middle is the point. And so if you see something similar happening, like Jesus calls one disciple, a couple events happen, and Jesus calls another disciple, okay, there's the chiasm. And so the middle section is the point that the author is trying to convey. And so the point, essentially, what Solomon is trying to convey in a very ingenious and, and beautiful way is that life without God is meaningless. You can choose everything that you want, and it is meaningless. And he even says this as he Solomon concludes in chapter 11 and chapter 12 saying, hey, you know, young men, just pursue whatever you want. But just know that in the end, all these things God will bring to you in judgment. Just know that. So all the things that you're pursuing, if it's, you know, if it's wealth, if it's pursuing pleasure through substances or women, if it's pursuing hard work, if it's pursuing uh, wisdom and um, knowledge, all of that's going to be meaningless if it's without God. And so in the end of all things, as Solomon kind of disproves all of what the world is trying to chase out, out for, he ends with this, is to say, fear God and keep his commandments. For, for God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret through whoever, whatever good or evil. And so the point is over and over is that everything is pointless. It's vanity. It's you're trying to grasp after after a after smoke after Havel if it's without God. But there's several things that several like three to five times in Ecclesiastes that says, "Hey, these are the good things. Work hard. Do this. Enjoy the present with God because life without God is pointless. So be present in this life with God because there's purpose there. Because there's actual." purpose there. And Which sounds a lot like point number two, embrace the purpose of your new life. And that was, and that's the point for us Christians, that life without Christ is pointless. And actually, it's a kind of referencing Philippians. I want to turn to you, Pastor Hink, because you know, back in uh, our sending church in California, you actually preached through the book of Philippians in a ministry. And in Philippians 3.8, it says, Paul says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Mm -hmm. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, as vanity, as Havel, in order that I may gain Christ. Is there anything you want to elaborate as you have preached through the book of Philippians? Yeah, when you look at Philippians 3.8 and you see that word there, rubbish, uh, that, that word, and I talked about it a little bit. Uh, in service the other day, but I was being so, uh, I, was, I was being very uh, serious in the concept of when I was talking about uh, our faith and needing to respond to the gospel, that I was a little light on this word rubbish, because as a pastor, sometimes you got to make sure that you, you give things weight and uh, in, in certain contexts. Uh, but this word rubbish is not just trash, it's dung, it's poop. 
and you know there are a lot of other words for that. But that's what Paul's saying. I mean, he look at the Greek word for rubbish, and it literally is poop. And so he's saying, I count everything as dung, and uh, when it comes to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And so that's what he's saying. It's not just meaningless, which is what the point is, right? That everything's meaningless. He counts it as worse than meaningless. It's the stuff that's left over after everything is done. It's so. And so I mean, there's there's a good, it's a good little uh, nugget. And so to help us as a church is to remember what Ecclesiastes is trying to help us see the. Solomon did what the world is trying to do, is trying to answer the question of life without God. Can there be purpose? Is there fulfillment? Is there pleasure without God? Is there wisdom without God? Is there hard work without God? Is there wealth without God? And so if you read, if you have read already, reread Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 1 through 11, where Solomon says, I did everything. I made myself gardens and parks and great works and fruit trees. I made myself pools. I've, I bought male and female slaves, and they were in my house. I had great possessions, and I had all the money in the world, the wisdom of the world. I worked harder than any of you. I had concubines and wives. I had all the th- desires that you want. At the Think about the, what everyone else around us is trying to find, pleasure and purpose. And he's saying, without God, it's pointless. Pursue God instead. Psalm 1611. You've made known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. All in Christ. So let's, as Christians, follow the words and the warning of Solomon and say, hey, you know what? Let's make sure, as Paul did, pursue the value of the surpassing worth of a relationship with Christ Jesus All right, well, Compass, next week we'll begin the prophets, and so I'm excited to dive in into the Old Testament prophets, but before that, we have some announcements, Pastor Hayden. Uh, What are the three announcements that we have? We have three announcements. One, Compass Kids Christmas Choir, uh, entitled An Almighty Christmas, is on December the 18th, but registration is open now because rehearsals are starting at the beginning of October, and so we need you, if you have kiddos, to register them immediately so they have plenty of time to rehearse and have confidence to take part in worship uh, on uh, December 18th. So register now. Do not delay, and let's get our kiddos from four years old to fifth grade ready to participate in our worship service on December 18th as we will uh, sing songs, as we will account the birth narrative of Christ and sit under the teaching of God's Word that week as we uh, share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we have our women's fellowship coming up. So, gals, get your life groups together. Uh, go over the application questions from the last women's event and fellowship together and, and uh, fellowship together through uh, food, through hanging out, walking, jogging, whatever it is, and also make time make time in your fellowship to go over the application questions that Kayla had uh, written for you guys, and you do that on the weekend of September the 24th. And then the very next day, September 25th, we have Exploring Compass that week and the following Sunday for our next session of Exploring Compass. We have 40 people registered for that, and so if you have any other people who need to register, we'll make some room. Uh, or they can register for the Exploring Compass uh, following that in just a few weeks. All right, church, we are so grateful for you guys. Praising the Lord for such a wonderful service this weekend and look forward to gathering with you guys again soon.